Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is helping logistics founders with my friend Nate Schutz. Nate is the host of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics podcast, and he is currently building a private community for logistics entrepreneurs, specifically bootstrappers. No offense, VC guys. 99% of logistics businesses never receive venture capital. These are solid companies started by solid people, but Nate feels like they're being overlooked, and he's looking to change that. To learn more about Nate's podcast and his community for logistics entrepreneurs, check out our conversation. How's it going, Nate? It is going fantastic, Joe. It's so good to be with you again. Thank you so much. I know we've talked about doing a podcast for a while. We talk on the phone, but we haven't done this podcast. I'm finally getting around to it. And I'm going to be on your podcast, I think, in a week or two. So, hallelujah. Nate, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Again, Nate Schutz. I am the VP of Fulfillment and Logistics for Blue Dot uh, in Minneapolis, a modern furniture designer, retailer, and e-commerce company. And I'm also the host of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, an independent podcast that shares the entrepreneurial journey of founders making it in the supply chain world. And then last, I'm also the founder of a private uh, logistics entrepreneurship community where founders can help each other out by uh, supporting each other. I love it. I love it. Nate, tell us a little bit about your podcast. And again, the title, The Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. When did you start it? The Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics came out of a conversation that happened on Twitter, of course, in late 2021 where Craig Fuller, who's the CEO and founder of FreightWaves, realized that a lot of their coverage was going to companies that could afford to buy PR. But a lot of companies that are out there are bootstrapped, smaller, and they still have compelling stories, but there wasn't an outlet for their stories to reach a broader audience. And so we came up with a podcast concept to go behind the scenes of the company and really uncover the founder's journey of why did they just start? Why did they decide to start a company, and what motivates them, and the human interest behind the company? And after a year of doing that with the FreightWaves team, we spun it off, and now it's a fully independent show that I record and produce all by my lonesome, with the support of a few folks around the world that are freelancers to help with some of the editing and such. But it has been a great avenue to share stories that don't get a lot of attention about entrepreneurs building companies the old-fashioned way. And um, before we hit record, we're talking, we've had this conversation multiple times on the phone, but we were just talking just now before we hit record about bootstrapping versus going and getting venture capital money. And I think there's a lot of glamour around this idea of VC money, and I'm not even against any of it. If it fits your, if it fits you and your company, go for it. It's just very rare. It's a one percent or less of companies that are out there are VC backed, and but they get uh, a lot of glamour because that's when you think about like the Instagram guys. It was like ten guys started this company, sold it for billions of dollars. You're like. 
yeah, I should do that. I should start a company with a few guys and sell it for a billion dollars. But it's rare, very rare. It's a great Hollywood story and movies get made about it. But of the thousand VC-backed companies that start, there's maybe one that achieves that unicorn status and 999 of them aren't going to be around in 20 years. Right. And what's weird is all the 1% that actually make it come on my podcast. That's the weird thing about it. <laughs> you're lucky then. And you're, you hit the nail on the head. There's nothing wrong with it. It is a different strategy where you're looking for a truly disruptive outcome that's going to change an industry and have a very large addressable market. And we, we need those folks because they're pushing the envelope. Yeah, when we think of, I'll just say that, and I don't understand, I'm not speaking of how they funded these companies, but when we think of like the Project 44 or some of those type of companies, they saw, an, and I think Macro points out, therefore Kites, many others, but they saw an industry that all of a sudden had this visibility opportunity, but you had to gain that market share very quickly and build a dominant position. If Right now, I needed to start a trucking company or I wanted to start a trucking company. First off, VC doesn't, isn't interested in products like that. But secondly, not even private, I don't think most private equities are particularly interested in startup trucking companies. And you're not disrupting the market. You're just saying, me and my buddies bought a few trucks. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I've said it many times on my podcast. We lionize these VC-backed companies. But if there was somebody down the street who's a buddy of yours and he owned a warehousing and fulfillment business or owned 10 trucks, you'd be like, oh, that dude's killing it. <laughs> He's doing really well. <laughs> that kind of stealth wealth is all over the place. The number of owners that have a 40,000 square foot warehouse in any medium-sized city around the country likely has multiple properties, a couple of really nice cars, and they don't flaunt it, perhaps, because they oftentimes have a very humble beginning that they carry forward with them even after they've had a lot of success. But a lot of them don't want the attention. They would rather be left alone and their neighbors have no idea how big their net worth is. Yes, exactly. Tell us a little bit about the group that you founded, the private group Sure. So we're calling it ballast, which is a shipping term that on the high seas vessels need stability during rough weather. And so in the bottom of a vessel, they place weight, either water or metal, or in the old days, it was stone. And the vessel sits lower in the water and it can survive large waves and turbulent weather as a result of that ballast. And it's much like entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is a turbulent set of circumstances and conditions. And trying to go off into that, those troubled waters alone is daunting. And so the message that we have is why do it alone in the first place? Why not take with you the ballast of other founders who've been there and know what it takes to make it through those uncharted waters? Because to them, they've already charted them. And so they, there's a place that we get these folks together virtually every month and it really does three things. One, there's the emotional component of just surviving entrepreneurship, the highs and the lows, having a place to talk and vent when needed. And, and it provides that kind of outlet. There's also a, a degree of chemistry and camaraderie 
of being around people that understand you. And entrepreneurs, some of them are a truly different breed. And some are everyday folks that learn their way into entrepreneurship. But there's a club of people that want to, to hang around others that, that know what it took to get there. And then I think the last part is education and, and growing both their companies and themselves. If you could have a network of advisors around you that know marketing or no sales or technology or finance, banking, whatever else it might be, if you can have entrepreneurial experts with their own areas of expertise and you put them all together, they grow organically. And it has been a, a fun, what started out as an experiment has become something I'm very passionate about where a lot of these people come right from your podcast and end up in your group because you ended up building a relationship with them. That's true. I, I've gotten to know their personal stories and they've shared both during the show and after the show, what it's really, and I've become friends with so many of them. And when they told me what their struggles were, I kept having the same reaction. I just heard the same thing from someone else. Why don't the two of you talk? Or I heard that same, somebody else is struggling. They need to, need to hire or fire their CPA. I've heard that six times in the last two months. And they have similar issues. And just the, the best support for founders, in my opinion, is other founders. Yeah. And uh, by the way, there are a ton of what you want to call these mastermind groups. I know that one of the big brand names is Vistage. Somebody who's been on my podcast many times has told me how successful she's been in Vistage. I went to a Vistage meeting years ago. I forgot what I was talking to them about, but the guy who ran it was a very well-known, successful businessman here in Detroit. And he probably, he was old too. He's 80 some. And I remember him calling me up and I was thinking, he sold his company when I before I started my career. But what is nice is when you say, oh my God, who can I talk to? Who I can't always talk to my my best friend who might be a doctor or my best friend who might work on an assembly line about how I need to make a change in my business. How do I get to the next level? Some of it is embarrassing to talk about. It's you can't even you can't say I'm broke. I seemingly should have money, but I'm broke. And it reminds me, I was in a group, I founded it, me and a few guys. It was right after 2008 when everything melted down in automotive. And I remember I had sent out some emails in this group. I forgot what group it was, but um, looking for a job and people responded. The only people who responded were unemployed. And I said, Hey, let's meet for a coffee. So we met for a coffee and then we sat for an hour and then um, maybe two. And then after they goes, let's do this again next Friday. So we started meeting every Friday and the group just grew and grew because so many people were unemployed. And by the way, the average person in that group made well over a hundred grand. Many were made hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. And I remember some were losing their house. It was a miserable time for a lot of them. We became fast friends because you don't want to talk about some of the struggles you're going through. And you're embarrassed because you're unemployed, but you're at the same time, I'm supposed to be networking. <laughs> and so I, I know that's, different. Well, it's the power of community in a nutshell, whatever the common interest is, maybe it's sports, maybe it's religion. Finding a community is built into our DNA and companies like Vistage are great examples. And 
they have managed to build small communities in the business world and in the leadership world by getting some things right consistently. And so I look at what they've accomplished and say, I want to be able to offer a a Vistage-like experience, but just within logistics. Our industry is complicated and explaining the nuances of that to somebody who works in healthcare or an entrepreneur who's in HVAC, for example, you have to spend a lot of time teaching and they don't want, a lot of founders that I work with don't want to do that. They want to get right into the meat of it. And so I describe ballast sometimes as Vistage for logistics or like YPO, but without the ego, because we want people that are YPO is a prestigious group to belong to. That's Young President's Organization, right? Yes, thank you. And that attracts a lot of folks for a lot of reasons. Some of it is status, to be honest. And what if we could take the best of each of those types of groups and have it be a niche just for logistics founders? And my original thinking was it's too small of a market. There's not a, there's not enough demand for that. I was completely wrong. Think about it. There's 40,000 trucking companies or 30,000 3PLs. There are tens of thousands of entrepreneurs out there and we don't want to build the biggest network. That's not our goal. Our goal is to build a tight network that's going to endure for a long time and only bring in people that are going to use their platforms for good. And if we get enough entrepreneurs like that together rowing in a a shared direction, we can actually influence our industry. Think about double brokering as one example. What if we found ways to all collaborate and make it harder for the bad actors to do business? That could be a positive outcome for the entire industry. And the heads of these companies are very influential, not only within their businesses, but within the industry. And so harnessing that collective power of community is already having an impact, I believe. Oh, absolutely. And uh, again, I I was talking to you before we hit record. I'm thinking I want to join that group because I am a small business owner and and my sales guy, me, is horrific. I should let him go, but I struggle some days. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nate, let's switch gears. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics and um, Ballast. Sure. I'm from a small town in northern Minnesota. If you detected a, a little bit of an accent, I can't deny it. It's there. I'm Midwestern through and through. And I went to school at the University of Wisconsin Superior, and I was going for business and economics. And halfway through school, I was introduced uh to a professor who was starting a logistics program at the university. And within minutes of it being described to me, it, it, the puzzle and the problem of solving spatial issues and moving goods in the physical world, it was like a three-dimensional Rubik's cube that was moving and it just captivated my imagination. And I remember going to a port tour when I was 19 or 20 years old, and just being fascinated with all the equipment and saying, why does that machine move that slowly? Can't it go faster? Which port did you go see? It was the port of Duluth Superior. Duluth Superior. Yep. It's one of the largest grain ports in the country and the largest freshwater port, Lake Superior being... Fun place to swim up there in Duluth too. It's a little chilly. (laughs) The water is barely above freezing, even in the dead of summer. And so that really is what instilled for me an early sense of wonder about the world because 
global trade happens every single day and it's not noticed by most people. And I have, it's the circulatory system of our economy. And I absolutely fell in love with it and then had the good fortune to be able to spend 12 years at CH Robinson and oh, learned wow. the industry as on the brokerage side, working on the international division and then moving over to the corporate side years later. And I got to understand how businesses think, not just supply chains, but how businesses think. And then was able to parlay that into the big and bulky space, moving into Final Mile and working for 3PLs, and then Sleep Number, a leading furniture company based here in Minneapolis. And from there, moved on to Blue Dot, again, in the furniture space, where I was able to, or am able to, combine all of those experiences and design the network and build a team and serve customers in a way that aligns with the brand itself that's a premium service to go along with a premium brand. And this industry has given me all of that over the last 20, 25 years. And so I'm extremely grateful. Yeah. I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. So getting back to it, I've said this on my podcast. I will use you as a good example, Nate. We have a lot of people who start off in freight brokerage and nothing wrong with that. That's a great place to start. It's a great background to have. But there's a career path that you can follow, multiple career paths. And it doesn't all have to be within freight brokerage. And the reason I say that, young freight brokers, is with technology, I think we're going to have the need for fewer actual people in that space. So there's nothing wrong with moving upstream or downstream. Nate is a perfect example of that. There are warehousing companies that could use your expertise. Also, the supply chains, the the big companies out there, the retailers, the automotive companies, they all have a need for uh, that skill set. And I keep thinking when you right now, and we won't talk about it, but uh, in your day job, you have logistics providers and you understand them in a way that only a logistics guy can. And not just from corporate, not just saying, you're ripping me off. This is, which is, if you don't know any better, you just go, yeah, these guys are ripping me off. That's my going in assumption. You've got a, you've got the background of a logistics provider. And so when you go into those negotiations, you say, let's do it right. And you, I do feel like I have an unfair advantage in that having been on the service provider side and the shipper side, I know the game from both sides, if, if it is a game. But there are other times where we have a legitimate need for a service. And my job is to find the highest value offer or provider for that service. I get easily 20 to 25 unsolicited emails every single day. The truth is I read every single one of them. I don't respond to a lot of them because they're cheesy and corny and uh, sometimes they pander. But the ones that represent their companies well, and I'll go to their website, and I'll check out their LinkedIn page, I'll see how big of a company they are. I will reach back out. I, I, I do cold outreach to logistics providers myself, even if I don't have a need right now, because salespeople got to eat too. <laughs> and, and I also save every single sales email that I get, because one day I will maybe write a course on how to or how not to sell freight 
and brokerage services to shippers because it's a circus sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was at TMSA, Transportation Marketing and Sales Association down in Savannah. And there was a few shippers on the shipper panel and they were from large companies. I won't mention which ones, but they were talking about all the emails they get every day. And they said a lot of them are that this got sent to thousands of people. Others did a pretty good job of kind of breaking through the clutter with a unique message that made sense. And and I, by the way, I, people aren't trying to sell me, but I get, I don't know, 20 emails a week, maybe 30 emails a week from people who say, I want to be on your podcast. A lot of them are from communications companies, PR companies. And the ones that seemed legitimate, I appreciate. But what drives me crazy is when I feel like you just, you did spray and pray. I'm not a good fit for your client, yet you reached out to me anyway, because you don't care. And in other times, I sometimes notice that people go, hey, this is a great company. And then I look them on LinkedIn. I was like, there's one guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> What drives me nuts is I don't, I dislike the Trojan horse sales approach. And I get this one all the time because I have, I'm a somewhat uh, recognizable person because I have the podcast and I'm active in creating content. And somebody will reach out to me and say, hey, I absolutely love your podcast. Would love to chat sometime and get on to a phone call with them. And they've never actually listened to the podcast and they want to sell truck. Uh And my reaction is always the same. You want to enter into a long-term relationship with me based on a falsehood on day one. If you want to have a real relationship, uh, both professionally uh, and just human to human, (laughs) what worse way is there than to start it with deceit? And I I can't do business with you if that's your approach. Don't try to be clever. Be authentic. Tell me what you do. If I have a need for it, I promise I'll consider you. And there's likely a path to maybe doing business one day. But if we start it with gimmicks, I just don't have any time for it. By the way, that I, I get a ton of emails from people who want to do video production or help me with my podcast promoting it. And they all start with, I love what you're doing with the podcast, or I love the <laughs> podcast. And I was like, oh, this guy in, in India who sells digital marketing loves my podcast. That's great for you, Joe. Congrats. Who knew? knew? (laughs) Anyway, let's switch gears here, Nate. Getting back to the bootstrapper's guide and also ballast. We touched on a little bit in the beginning, but let's get it a little deeper. Why do companies join ballast? What? So you obviously talk to most of them on the podcast, but why, what are they looking for from you and your organization? I can maybe give a few examples of what I've heard from the founders themselves. One common theme is that their husband or their wife or their partner is tired of hearing about their company and their job all day long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not going to believe what happened today. And the spouse just rolls their eyes and here we go again. And so there is value in having a place to talk about things that you can't talk about with everybody else. If you're the CEO of a company, you can't easily admit that you're unsure of what to do next or that you don't have the answer. And you have to not only instill confidence, but you have to present a certain way. And that's tiring. One of our founders, very well known in the industry said, I don't always want to be the person inspiring others. I want to be inspired myself. I'm worn out. I need a boost. And 
So when they get to spend time every month with eight or 10 other founders, they can show up and, and be served instead of being the ones serving others. And so that changing of like power dynamics and being able to set them down and their own personal relationship dynamics, it's an outlet that they don't have elsewhere. And, and that satisfies an emotional need and a need to be heard and recognized and let your guard down. And that's rare these days to have a safe or brave place that you can do that with others. So I think that's a that's why they keep coming back. Yeah, a buddy of mine, his dad was a CEO of a very big company and he was worth a ton of money. And my friend got laid off and he found a job. And I said, how'd you find a job? He goes, so quickly, because it was downtime. And he said, my dad's in this CEO group. And he says, everybody in there, he mentioned all the name of the company. I recognize all of them as Detroit area. And I go, why is your dad part of that group? He goes, what my dad said is when you make as much money as he ended up making and being at the top of this large organization, and it's one of the largest private companies out there, he said, he's got problems that other people don't perceive as problems. And he said, one of them is money. And he said, all these guys share similar problems. Hey, I have, I'm doing my will and trust and I have three kids, but one unfortunately is a problem child right now. Or you can't talk to your army buddy who's a teacher about your $30 million. It comes off wrong. It's inappropriate in many cases, most cases. And, and I think the same thing goes for like a CEO. I can't bring my team in and go, you know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned that I don't have a good enough team. They're like, oh, who are you, who are you talking about? Oh, none, none of you. Or I'm afraid I won't be able to make payroll if this doesn't happen. You can't have those kind of conversations with your team. And meanwhile, if I can go back to a group that has been down the same road I'm on, maybe they're even further down the road and they go, dude, I know what you're going through. And maybe just listening. They don't even have a solution, but just listen and uh, say, yeah, been there, done that. But maybe, just maybe they say, I got a guy for you. Let me introduce you to a buddy. Maybe it's a CPA. Maybe it's a turnaround guy. Who knows? Whatever the problem is. It's a, I'm going to say it, Nate, it's a safe space. <laughs> it, I, and I will also distinguish that I like to say it's a brave space because one of our community values is no ego or low ego. There's no cool kids table here. So when you show up. Oh, well, I can't be in that. Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> what everyone thinks. Joe's cool, right? <laughs> no, what I, what I mean by it is no, everybody's at their own place in their own journey. There is no cool. There are no cool kids in the group because as soon as there are, then you've got power dynamics and we're not interested in that. We're interested in supporting one another wherever you are and giving first and getting second. And the low ego part of it then is founders, executives, CEOs are used to being spoken to and treated a certain way, almost with deference a lot of oh, times. Yeah. And in this group, there's none of that. You show up, you put your pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. And if somebody were to maybe get a little too big for their britches, Somebody else is going to call them out on it and say, 
yeah, don't act like your stuff doesn't stink too. Because two months ago, you were in here crying, saying that you think you got to burn the whole thing down. So it's always a refreshingly honest group. Or mul- we have multiple groups at this point. And again, that's rare, but we all want to belong to something. I know I do. Yeah. No, I, I and by the way, I won't mention the names because it's inappropriate. But when you started, when I was talking to you about it, I didn't know about Ballast until a few months ago when we were talking about doing a podcast together. And when you described it, I was like, oh, and then you mentioned a few names. I was like, oh, I've, some of my friends are in it. I'm sure they wouldn't mind, but I don't think it's appropriate for us to name. And I was thinking, and by the way, they are all the cool kids. So I don't know what you're saying. You don't <laughs> <No>. have cool kids. <laughs> but I was thinking, yeah, this is an interesting thing because I'm, I talk to people on my podcast, but I also talk to people about becoming sponsors or advertisers. I talk to other podcasters like you. Usually when I'm talking to other podcasters, I can say, I got this problem or that problem or this, what's going on, share what's working, what's not working. But when I'm talking about the services I provide, you have to be a little careful with your customers about saying, oh, you know what we suck at? <laughs> They're exactly. like, are you still selling to me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. So- it gives us a chance to say, I think this would be the value for me in this group is I'm trying to understand more about what the world wants of me and my company. And while I ask customers, I always say this, when I was still doing logistics, selling logistics services, I would talk to the companies that we served, our, our customers. And I would say, why'd you buy from us? Why'd you pick us? And I always thought I'm going to get some real prof well, something really profound. Yeah. yeah. And they go, what? Because you're the right price and you're good service. Okay. <laughs> and so you're like, I'm going to change my marketing stuff to good price, good service. It, it It isn't an insight that's real useful. And that's, I've, so I always say that's the, that's one of the reasons we need marketing people. But so often we don't get really good feedback, even from people who want to give you good feedback they haven't given it any thought. They aren't, and they aren't in a group to help you. They're busy, right? Do do your own work. It's not my problem. Why people buy from you? Sure. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions is a nearshore, offshore service provider, and they provide a range of services, including operations, technology, marketing, sales, and business process outsourcing. They work with over 500 U.S. transportation and logistics companies. And what they have is this model where they have satellite offices down in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. And their approach is real, low cost, low risk, low hassle. They have 9,000 employees now. They're one of the fastest growing companies in America. And again, everybody I know seems to be working with them. But if you're not working with them, check them out. Lean Group, L-E-A-N group.com. And by the way, my podcast is edited by someone from Lean, Lean Solutions Group. They're a fantastic company. I just did an interview with Ryan Mann. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. So getting back to it, let's switch gears. I know you've interviewed, how many people have you interviewed over at the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics? Oh, at this point, probably have shared and published 50-ish founder stories and dozens more that are ready or recorded and will be shared someday soon. And even more than that, that 
there's not enough hours in the day to share every story, but I, w- I would say it's a few hundred plus founders at this point that have have been a part of this. Nice. And by the way, you've, you've got a few jobs there, Nate. So I, I understand. I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember talking, I was like, dude, that guy's got 36 hours a day. So what are some of the things you've learned from talking to the, these people on your podcast? Oh man, the lessons are so big and I'm recording them. I'm taking notes and I'm writing these things down. One day, maybe I'll write a book called The Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics that that has some of that uh, information in it. But I would say from some one of the founders in particular helped me understand my own unique value and what do I have to offer and can I contribute to not only the industry, but just to the world and to other people. And that we're all built for something. We all have a, a utility to offer others. And that's like an internal and, and personal thing that I didn't expect to learn. I was thinking I was going to learn about entrepreneurship, but I'm learning more about myself than anything else, to be honest. So that's one of them. The other is that nobody has all the answers. Everybody is making it up as they go. They're figuring it out. Everybody feels like an imposter at some point. And having the humility to say, I don't know, and ask for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. And the other things that I would say really stand out to me is the power of family. I don't know of a single one of these entrepreneurs that hasn't mentioned their parents, their kids, or their spouse, or mentors in their life that have developed and grown them to where they are today. And it is not a solo sport. It is a a much larger effort than that. And the amount of time that these founders spend thinking about their teams at their companies, I think would blow people away. They are so thoughtful with staffing decisions or or leadership changes that might need to be made, or we're going to change the compensation plan for our salespeople. And they wrestle with it back and forth and they talk with other people And they're so considerate of the impact of their decisions that I don't know if the general public would ever know that or truly appreciate how much thought goes into running a company. And so I think if I could put a bow on all of that, it would be not all, but the vast majority of these founders care about people 10x than what people would think. Nice. It's good to know. <laughs> I think a lot of people are probably going, I've never worked at a place that felt like that. <laughs> and sometimes I've worked for very large companies sometimes, and I've also worked for a lot of small companies. And I've said this to people before, as you get older, you start to see it right away. Do Is the people I'm, is the man or the woman I'm supposed to be following, is it to help them or is it to help all of us? Are you leading us in the right direction or is this for the greater glory of you? And boy, we notice that right away. Even if you can't articulate it, you see it, right? You sense it, yeah. Yeah, you're like, this guy doesn't care about anyone but himself. And that is damning. What's interesting, you started to touch on it, this idea of personal growth. I interview a lot of the same people you do, I imagine. And what I've always thought about it is, they're not a lot different than anyone else. Being an entrepreneur doesn't make you that much different. But I will say there is a a willingness to confront some of your 
fears because I'll say that I've said this to myself. I have an executive coach, Ann Holm. She's been on my podcast many times. And I've said to her before, I said, my company can only grow as fast as I can. And you mentioned the cool kids earlier. We've all heard the term, fake it till you make it. It's really, if you, when you've had a really good career, and I've had a very good career prior to starting your own company, and all of a sudden you have this puny little company and you're not making any money. And it's, you don't want to say, oh, by the way, Nate, you're one of my first customers. You're my third customer. I, I'm just figuring this out as we go. Even if I have a sense that I can really help you, there's a tendency to want to puff up a little bit. And I think the further along you get in your entrepreneurial career, the more you say, I can let that guard down a little bit. I've done enough things that I don't have to do the fake it till I make it. I can say, I don't know. And that's important because it it opens you up to, when you can be vulnerable with somebody, it means you can get some good feedback. If I have to act, if I know everything, I can't get feedback. <laughs> We're all on our own journey too. And I look back at myself at 20 and I'm mortified at who I used to be and am glad that I've gone through a lot of the hardships that I have because they reshaped me into someone kinder and more thoughtful and more helpful to others. And none of that growth came pleasantly or easily. And to get to that point of, you know what, I think I'm content with who I am right now. If I'm still this person in five years, I, I will not be content. I want to keep growing. But being okay, knowing that there's a lot of people in the world that don't like me, that's a kind of freedom that you can find if you're willing to do that kind of internal work, which is one of the pursuits of my life as I seek to be a, a better husband and father and all other a friend to others and all of those things is I'm not just a guy in logistics. I'm also a, a full person and that journey is scary and awkward and cringy at times. And yet for those who are willing to travel that path, the rewards are immense. Yep. Yep. Nate, why do, who's the sweet spot for ballast? Who's joining ballast right now? Sure. Ballast is mostly growing right now through other founders just saying, hey, I love this group. I want to bring in a couple of my founder friends because I think that they would get a ton of value out of it. And for some, it is very early stage founders that are one to three people and just getting off the ground and they want a place to talk shop. And hey, what software are you using for this? And how are you marketing? Or are you going to all the conferences? And they're workshopping issues together. For others, they're later stage, and they might have a team of 50 or 300 employees, and they are wanting to talk through strategy and business dilemmas and how do you protect your downside risk. And talking to other founders at that same stage is, is also very valuable. And then you've got a whole range of folks somewhere in the middle. And it could be a SaaS company or a brokerage. It could be a warehouse. It could be an agency. You name it. They're all working in the same field, just on, on a different service or a different offering. And wherever folks are at on their own entrepreneurial journey, we have others that are there too. I know you had sent me some information on Ballast the other day, and I know you're working on a website, but the group is 
that you have multiple groups. It's the company's doing well, you're moving forward and you're going to create this website. I normally would say I'll put a link in the show notes, but guys, don't worry. If you want to join this organization, it, it really, it sounds like it grew organically from the podcast. And, and so these relationships grew from the podcast. And then all of a sudden you got these groups that are multiple groups, are they segmented by size of companies or how are you segmenting these? We're working through that right now, actually. Size of company and stage where the founder is at has a big influence on it. And it's our biggest challenge right now is how to navigate growth because we're, we have so much interest and how do you keep something special um, and intimate while also growing it. And so if folks want to reach out, you can for now, because since we don't have a website and I barely even have a, a PDF of, of what it is, uh, my email address is just nate at logisticsfounders.com. You can shoot me a note. Of course, you can find the show Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics on Apple or Spotify. Just created a LinkedIn page with, for it for the first time about a month or so ago. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn too. And I can if you're a founder and you're interested, I can connect you with a few other founders to, to learn more about it. Excellent. Excellent. So what I'll do, Nate, is I'll put a link to your website. That is the Bootstrapper's Guide. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and any, any other links you give me. And then um, people can reach out and talk to you about Ballast or maybe talk to you about the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. Are you taking advertisers or anything on Bootstrapper's Guide? We do. We have two sponsors that are helping us share more founder stories, and they happen to be founders themselves. One of them is Brad Perling with Bitfreighter in Nashville, Tennessee. They're leading the EDI revolution between shippers, carriers, and brokers, and have gotten to spend time with him and his team down in Nashville recently. And the other is Rapido Solutions Group in Guadalajara, led by Danny Frisco and Roberto Icaza as co-founders. And they're doing nearshore logistics staffing for, again, carriers and logistics companies and brokerages. Love it. I love it. So again, I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And I love what you guys are doing. Nate, I like to interview smart, interesting people like yourself, people who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? I'm going to have to nominate my new friend, Tarek Shahail, who is a founder of a logistics SaaS company called Seago Tracker. He is in Montreal and they're doing some really cool stuff in the last mile space. And Tarek is also just a world-class human being. He's a former MMA fighter and oh, he wow. made the transition from fighting with others to going into logistics where it, sometimes it seems like all you do is fight with others. Tarek and I instantly hit it off when we met and I know he would be a, a great person to connect you with. I think you'd learn a lot from each other. Excellent. I love it. I'm, I'm all for these. We need all these solution providers. And I, I always like interviewing people from Canada also because I feel like we're integrated really well here where I live. Right? Windsor and Detroit are very connected. I just feel like just in general, we need to connect our supply chains and logistics world even better and make better laws for getting stuff over the border. Because it makes no sense to me right now that I might have a, a warehousing fulfillment center in Detroit and I can't deliver to Windsor easily, right? Oh, and I'm in Minnesota, so I'm on the Canadian border too. So maybe that's what the connection is here, Joe. Exactly. Exactly. What conferences will we see you at, Nate? This fall, I will be actually doing the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics at the Freight Waves Future of Freight Festival in Chattanooga in November 7th through the 9th. 
So look forward to finally getting to meet you in person at Manifest in February in Vegas, where I'll also be speaking. I might make it down to F3. I haven't decided yet. I'm going to go somewhere in the fourth quarter. (laughs) So I'll, I'll be at both of those. I'll hopefully see you at one or both. And Manifest is in Vegas in February, same week as the Super Bowl is in Vegas. But we're, we're the first part of the week. And maybe, Nate, we'll just, if our Lions or your Vikings are in it, we'll maybe we'll just scalp tickets for 50 or 100 bucks. Get, uh, Sounds good. <laughs> go to the game. What's bigger than the Super Bowl in Vegas? A logistics conference. That's, that's exactly. 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 Without even people pushing it, many people have said to me on my podcast, Oh my God, Manifest was fantastic. And I have to agree. I was there. It's like drinking from uh, a fire hydrant, but everybody's there. I think they had close to 3,000 people last year. I imagine they'll have even more this year. Fantastic event. And it's just done right. That's And I know, by the way, so is, I'm sure, F3's done. Freightways does it right too. And what's better than getting a bunch of folks together? Speaking of community, we all get together. Ideas get exchanged. New relationships get formed. You get to shake hands and maybe share a meal with somebody that you've known on social media for a long time. That's a great way to spend some time. As I told you, Nate, if they, if Elon Musk is right and this is a simulation, they could play it on me easily because most of my <laughs> connections are t- 2D. I see them on my podcast. <laughs> and if somebody said, oh, yes, those 125 guys you interviewed over the last, they're fake. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I knew it. Damn it. <laughs> One of the different term my calls. Anyway, Nate, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Finally. And Joe, thank you. I look forward to having you on mine in the very near future. Have a great day. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.